This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. Welcome to the Circuit of Success, and thank you for joining me. You know, it's been said that success comes to those who wait, but I believe the opposite. I believe that it's earned with the right attitude, a great belief system, and action every single day. When you mix that in with faith, courage, discipline, and most importantly, a vision, that's when greatness happens. Now let's dive right in to this week's guest. Welcome to the Circuit of Success podcast. I am your host, Brett Gilliland, and we have a friend of mine. We go years back. Larry Smith, how are you doing today, my friend? Brett, it's good to talk to you. I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing well. I know you are now out in Washington, D.C. Uh, you are the host of the uh, the morning show there on the ABC News. So, uh, But I know you back from our days in Mattoon, Illinois. And so, you know, Larry, I want to spend some time today on the Circuit of Success. But why don't you tell our listeners a little bit more about who Larry is and uh, what's made you the man you are today? Well, you know, I think anybody who knows me um, probably will use one word, and that's passion. Um, I've always had a lot of passion for whatever it is I put my mind to, and I don't know why, just the way God made me. Um, But it's been a lot of fun doing more full-time news now for the first time in a long time. Um, You know, I was a long-time sports anchor with CNN Sports and Turner Sports, and did a lot of really cool things then. Um, But it's fun now to kind of put on a different hat with those that bucket list kind of full from the sports end and to what better place to do news than here in our nation's capital where there's so many things going on, uh, you know, politically and, and behind the scenes. And um, it's just been awesome. You know, my day begins at, at four o'clock in the morning and doesn't really end till six o'clock at night. Just be, just the way that things, um, you know, have gone. But I'm always thinking of everybody back home in Illinois and, and, you know, kind of the way I got started. And it's sometimes I kind of pinch myself as I walk to work every morning and just to, I never dreamed that I would be in this situation uh, doing this kind of job and, and having this much fun with it. Well, I can't imagine the nation's capital. You probably have a few things to talk about, don't you? <laughs> you know, <laughs> well, that's, that's the next series of podcasts that you want exactly. to see. <laughs> we'll, we'll leave that for another day, right? Oh, that's right. That's right. Well, that's good. So it's it's uh, obviously you started at you know the smaller stations in in Illinois back here in, in Mattoon, Illinois, and Champaign, and and then you climbed the ranks to CNN. And so some of the stats I was looking at, I was I was uh, really I thought this was really cool. So over sixty major championships, you've done twelve Final Fours, six Super Bowls, the Masters, BCS title games, the Olympics, World Series. I mean, tell us about some of those events. I mean, how cool is that for a sports guy? I know you're a sports guy your whole life. To get to do that stuff, what was that like? Well, it was really neat. You know, growing up, I was always involved in sports. I was never, you know, very good. I mean, very, very average, very, with an accent on the very average (laughs) athlete. Um, But I always had uh, just interested just to find out about the players. And and even as far back as playing Little League ball. I mean, I want to know who's this kid pitching against me and, you know, the kid I just slid into at home play, you know, what's his name and whatever. And um, so it was pretty cool. Actually, going back to it began not just in radio there in Mattoon, but but began when I was in junior high. And my friends and I created this fictional university and we played games on the old television system. And even as far back as little Coleco handheld football games. And, um, and I kept stats and they had personalities. And I was kind of my own the journalist of the sports of my own bizarro, you know, world out here in the ether somewhere. And um, my close friends I went to school with knew about it. To this day, they still tease me about it. We still joke about it. We talk on the phone. 
Um, but it was, you know, to go from, um, you know, from college at Eastern Illinois to CNN in about three years was something, again, that you just, just happened. I mean, as you mentioned, it's great research just starting in Champaign at the NBC affiliate, what was then NBC, now it's the ABC, WICD, when I was still in college at Eastern and then going to, to Knoxville, Tennessee, the NBC station there. And my first sports job was West Palm Beach and I was there 20 months and then getting the job at CNN, I'll never forget walking in the first time to meet with them. I was only 24 years old and I was scared to death. I just was like, right. Remember that this is the big show. Sure. I let the, I let, I was going to cross the street and I just stood there and froze and the light turned, you know, I lost my walk light again and finally got the courage to walk on in. And, um, I just put it on the table and just said, you know, I'm obviously interested. I'm trying to grow in my career. And so to go from those days and then to later get a chance to cover Final Fours. And I remember, you know, being in Indianapolis in 1997 and, and Rick Pitino the night before um, Kentucky lost their bid to repeat as champions to this upstart Arizona team in overtime and um, Miles Simon on that team and Lute Olson's only title. And to hear Rick Pitino talk about you know, and it never, it always stuck with me. It never cost anybody to listen because there were the rumors of the Boston Celtics job. And, and it's true. It doesn't cost you to listen. Uh, it, it just listen to people. And, and you may, you may not agree with them or want that job or whatever, but you can just listen. And, you know, as we now know, I mean, they lost and he took the Celtics job and the rest is history. But, um, to do those things and to be at the masters and to be there, um, I would always take Sunday afternoon was always a day that we didn't have a lot of live shots with CNN. And so I would take the day in a bottle of water, and just go walk back on Amen Corner, um, which is not as serene as it, as it seems on TV because there's just people talking and drinking and laughing. And, and the green is like, you know, right there, like 50 right. yards away. And it's like, shh, be quiet. And it's Amen Corner. It's not very quiet here. But, um, but you got to say prayers to get through that, 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 uh, trio of holes. If you're going to win anything in the end. Um, but it was neat to go back and I covered four Olympics, three overseas, um, interviewed Michael Phelps the morning after he won his eighth gold. And I remember asking him what, what was, what's, what weighs more the expectation of winning eight gold or actually winning the eight gold. And he said, Larry, that's a great question. And he went on and gave a great answer. Talking to Tiger Woods um, when he won the PGA at Medina in Chicago in 06 after his dad died um, in May. And, you know, he missed the cut at the U.S. Open at Wing Foot and then came back and won the British and then won the PGA at Medina. And, and I said, you know, when you think about this year, and I get chills still talking about it. When you think about this year, what, what, what are you going to remember the most? Because this guy's holding two major trophies he just won in the last month. And he said, loss. I lost my best friend. And he gave an answer. It was unbelievable that we could always, I think any of us talk about your, your family, your parents and your dad. He said, you know, my dad would call me every Sunday night. He said, not about golf. This is my dad. He'd call and say, hey, Sam, what are you doing? He said, I never knew why he called me Sam. I said, nothing. I'm watching TV. What are you doing? And he said, oh, and he said, we would just talk, you know, and, and it was funny. And then later, of course, his daughter was born and he named her Sam Alexis. And we later figured out he had never told anybody that before. So I appreciated that, that he trusted me as a journalist to give me that scoop, if you will, about his own personal life and to talk about his dad. And, and I think more than anything, um, I remember those moments um, to spend one-on-one -on -one with Tom Izzo after he won a title or um, Phil Mickelson, you know, when he was in his, his heyday or spend time with Magic and Cookie Johnson the night before he went into the Hall of Fame up in Springfield, Massachusetts. We did a series of interviews with him and just sat and talked in between. And um, those are the things I think I take more than anything. 
Yeah, that is very cool. Some what moments? I mean, all of us listening. I mean, those we we all know exactly where we were when Michael Phelps was doing his thing and Tiger Woods in his prime. I mean, that guy was you know basically unbeatable. So yeah. I wish he'd come back. I wish he I wish he could get back and just do it one more time. But yeah, who I, knows if that'll happen? Yeah, I don't think it's going to at this point. Um, I'm I think I'll always be the answer to the, to a trivia question. I'm the last person to interview Tiger after he won a major. That's right. Didn't you do it on the course? Yeah, we always have time each major that CNN, ESPN, and the Golf Channel, we would all pool our resources and, and get a two-camera quick interview that we would all kind of split time. The reporters would, whoever had to go first or whatever, we didn't care. I mean, we all were friends and knew each other. And um, So Rich Lerner went first. It was Torrey Pines. Uh, he beat Rocco yeah. playoff at the U.S. Open at Torrey Pines. With basically a broken leg. Exactly. And he had yeah, on one knee. In fact, he never he, he never did on his knee. He never uh, bent that leg the whole time. And so Rich Lerner went first with uh, Golf Channel. Tom Renaud, my good friend Tom at ESPN, went next. They had deadlines. I didn't have a deadline. I was going to catch a red eye and cover Celtics-Lakers game six in Boston. So tough life for me. Right. So uh, talked to him, and, and he did, wouldn't commit to playing in the British. And I knew right then, first first right out of the bat that he was really, really injured. I'd heard from a caddy friend who was uh, Lee Westwood's caddy at the time that on that Saturday round, you could hear the bone grinding. Uh, wow. Every time he would, he would tee off and he would stop and went, you could hear the bones grinding in his knee. So you knew he was in bad shape. And we finished the interview and his driver, Lexus SUV backed up. Elon got out. I said hi to her and she grabbed Tiger's one shoulder. I grabbed his other shoulder to his drink and Helped him limp into the back of the car and said, take care, buddy. Hope to see you. Yeah. yeah, he said, yep. And I knew then. I'm like, there's no way he's going to play. And sure enough, two days later, he pulled out. So Wow. Yeah, after five rounds of golf on a broken leg, he still wins. Yeah, yeah. Unreal. So you know, you're in a very competitive business. I mean, so if you put that, put yourself in that mindset of competitiveness from your business that you're in, being on the news, um, lots of people want your jobs, and then there's people out there that in the business world, it's a competitive world. What do you do mentally kind of each day to prep yourself to be ready for the big moment? Well, I think you've got to be in the right mindset spiritually. Um, and that's just, that's just where I come from. Um, you know, I, I don't, people who don't have a, that higher purpose to be better or to do better. I don't quite know how they do it. Um, but for me, I mean, I really have to make sure that every single day um, I'm the very best I can be. And sometimes at four o'clock in the morning, you're kind of sleepy and kind of tired and, you know, um, you got to find a way to, to be on your, have your A game. Um, and that's one thing for me is that I want every day to be perfect. Now, it's never going to be perfect. It's, it's just not going to happen. But I want to make sure that every story I read, that I've made sure I read it ahead of time and make sure that I um, know how to pronounce all the words. And sometimes there are names of streets that are tricky or whatever. But the one thing in TV is that this is the one job, and there are very few jobs in the world, it's the one job where you are on display and there's nowhere to hide and you are as naked as can be. Because if I don't have my, if I'm not on, guess what? You're going to know when you turn the TV on and you say, man, he's really struggling today. I don't know what his problem is. So um, for me, I really just every single day, this has been for 29 years. I want to be the best I can be today. And how can I grow for tomorrow? And that's even still now. I've never been to a point where I've mailed it in or thought I made it or um, you know what? This is easy. Um, there's always a way to be better. There's always more to learn. And that's kind of what drives me every day. 
Well, especially in today's world, too, when you uh, you do one thing that's a little silly or goofy, that, that thing's spreading viral, right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. you got to be careful. This, if I say something dumb, you know, I can edit this out on live TV. You can't do that. No, exactly. Well, and, and even I think if when you choose this lifestyle, there are some people who ask about Facebook. I don't, have, I don't have a lot of family pictures on Facebook. My wife doesn't like Facebook. And from early on, we just said we're going to protect our kids. And look, if my kids decide they want a public life, then God bless them. I'll support them 100%. But it's going to be their choice. And so as a result, I don't put a lot of family pictures up on social media. And that's by design. My wife and I, that's, that's, our, that's just what we do because we are in the public eye. One of the greatest pieces of advice I ever got, I was in West Palm Beach in November 1993, about to go to CNN. And we had a, one of our sales execs had come from the Miami Heat and had dealt with the NBA guys for a long time. He pulled me aside and said, listen, I just turned 25 years old. And it was you know days away from my first show on CNN. And he said, remember this, no matter where you go from now on, you're marked. He said, I don't care if you walk out your front door down the drive to get your mail. You're not just a guy getting his mail. You're, you're the CNN guy. You're that national sportscaster. You're the, so no matter what you do, and, and I've never forgotten that. So I've always been very careful uh, if I was on the road with CNN or even just at home uh, in Atlanta or, or home here. I'm very cautious with not just what I'm doing, but how what I'm doing may be perceived by other people. Um, you just have to, when you sign on to this, take on this public, uh, public job. Yeah. So you mentioned preparation earlier and reading the names and all that stuff. But one of the things I talk to a lot of people about, there, there's motivation and there's preparation in my mind. So motivation is I got to have it every single day, right? I got to take my, my quote unquote medicine, if you will. Um, and, and I think that's a tough life if you're always trying to be motivated. And But then there's preparation. So you talked about what you do earlier, but what's your thought on that for preparation versus motivation? When you hear that, what comes to mind? You know, I, I think it'd be to be motivated, to be prepared. How's that? <laughs> I, mean, I, like it. I would, I would marry the two. Um, you know, part of my motivation, my, I just said my motivation is to be perfect every day and I may not reach it, but I'm going to set the bar high. Well, how do I get there? I get there by being prepared. Um, I've got to make sure that, um, I do spend at least part of my evening watching a little bit of news, though it can be kind of time consuming. We get into a lot of the talking heads, but sometimes I do need to sit and watch or just reading things online, but making sure I understand what's going on. If I have a segment um, in our uh, newscast as something that do with, with politics, but making sure I read the producer's notes and the pre-interviews, making sure I do a little Google search on who these people are. Um, I, I never just walk up to somebody and cold and go to interview them and not knowing why they're in. I've got four minutes with this person or this group. So how can I help the viewer get the most out of why they're important. The one thing in TV news, and this is kind of pounded into me at CNN, why is this story important? And every single story, why is this important? If you're watching Brett as a consumer, why do you care about this story about this bank robber in Kansas City? It's, he's not robbing your bank, right? right. So right. Why, why, why do you care? Well, that's part of my job is I should, there's a reason we're telling the story and I need to make sure I get that across. So um, I would say the, uh, you know, motivated to be prepared and be prepared to be motivated. So when you think of the common themes that you've seen, and you mentioned the names earlier from Magic Johnson to Tiger Woods to Michael Phelps, and the list can go on and on because you've been blessed to be able to interview these people and be around them. And even in your own world and the people you surround yourself with, with all the great news anchors you've worked with, what's, what are those common themes that you've seen among the best? What are they doing? 
You know, I think um, they all have a natural talent, but I think it's it's the same thing. They all have a passion. They have a desire. Um, there's there's this this inner fire that burns within. And I, you know, it's a great two people I think of this generation that I think people today, uh, young or not quite as young, could equate with would be Tiger Woods and Michael Phelps. Um, they are singular in purpose that they have one goal and that's to win and and nothing stands in their way they're going to practice they're going to practice they're going to work out they're going to eat what they have to eat do what they have to do when they're in training to get ready for that one singular moment and when it happens um they tiger at his peak had a way of just deflecting he i never forget chicago was a perfect example luke donald was his was his his playing partner and and he deflected all the energy and all the attention onto his opponents. That's why Tiger only won majors when he was on top, because he knew he when he was leading after three rounds. He, it was amazing. Luke shot a 75 that day. I mean, he just he just wilted on a, on right. a course that was designed to score. He couldn't score. Uh, Michael Phelps the same way. He, there's just this inner fire within them, and I think the great coaches, I think um, the great leaders of our country have that that same passion your anchors name your favorite anchor that you like same thing um there there's a passion there's this inner fire that burns um that's just different from anybody bill gates has that kind of passion magic johnson has that kind of passion mark cuban has that kind of passion um and i think that's what you look at the the great leaders you can sit and write them out there's one thread that combines all of them and that is an inner talent and smarts obviously if you have to get it they have to have the skill but if you don't have the passion to chase it down and make it happen, you're not going to go very far. Completely agree. So how do you define success? What's success in your world? Uh, in, in my professional world? Yeah, just yeah, in your professional world, just in life in general. What's, what's success defined by, by you? See, I think success for each person is whatever you're looking to achieve. What, what I agree. What successful, um, obviously there's the, there's the public persona that you can say, well, this guy's done this 29 years and... Um, I still will hop on Metro and someone will say, hey, can I get your autograph, take a picture? I used to watch you on CNN or, or NBA TV's Game Time or, hey, I watch you every morning or that, whatever the case is. So, um, you know, I, I want that. I want to be, I want people to watch me to like me because then you will keep watching. That's the whole point is to watch our show and we become more successful. So obviously that's, that's important. But honestly, for me, being a great dad, being a good husband, uh, making sure that I'm there for them physically, spiritually, um, that I support them the right way. And, and uh, you know, I know I'm confident right now that if I were called home tomorrow, that my family would say that, that, you know, he was a success that he was always here for us and always had us in mind with um, the things that um, they wanted, that they need in life. And so that's the thing. I've got two great kids and, and a wonderful family and um, so I know I'm successful in terms of doing the things I need to do. So when you were uh, commentating video games as a child, did you think that people would walk up and ask for your autograph? <laughs> no. I, I'll be honest, back then I wanted to get into accounting, and actually I wanted to be the first black president of the United States. And wow. This Obama guy clearly he beat me to that. So that's not he happen. beat you. Yeah. Right. Well, maybe you beat the second one, right? Well, I, I, I would never – I have friends who have long said, some good friends who think I'm still secretly planning this run for office. And I can tell you right now, there's about a 99.9% .9 chance that's not going to happen. You never say never, but that's I, right. 
I have very little desire to do that. I, I think there was a guy named Michael Jordan once that said he was 99% retired, too. Well, <laughs> he came back and did all right. Yeah, he had a different skill set, too, and a yeah, different fire. Exactly. You know, I, I love what I do, and, uh, and I think that I can still, um, in my position, go out and do some things for different charities that can help affect change. Um, and I know there are people, there are about a dozen young people that I've helped um, reach network or top 10 TV markets through the years. And I take great pride in them. They, we still keep in touch. They know they can reach out to me anytime they need help. And so if, if I have any kind of legacy or whatever, it's, it's, it's that to be able to help that. But no, in terms of myself, and I never, I had no idea I would ever, could even do this as a career until I got out of college and kind of stumbled into it. So one of the questions we always talk about with our guests is the fears that we put in our heads, right? How many of the fears that we put in our head, and you mentioned it earlier, like you had to pause and literally missed a stoplight because you couldn't walk in the building, and part of that's fear. Um, and so how many of the fears that you put in your head actually have came true to the magnitude that you put them in your head to be? You know, I think the, the big, biggest fear I had to overcome uh, was being so young at CNN. Um, my, my birthday is November 20th, and my first show was December 2nd. So, um, you know, I, I never forget that night. It was the, the CNN Sports Late Night. Nancy Newman's my co-host and uh, that night. And I was literally sweating. I mean, I was sweating, sweat running down my forehead. I mean, I was, I was that nervous. Um, cause I was like, what am I doing here? I mean, I, <laughs> I don't blog here. Yeah. This is 1993. I was, I was in, you know, taking finals three years ago. This doesn't happen. And, uh, um, but you know, I, I had to overcome that and I had to overcome the question of, did I belong? And it took me about three years. It really did. Probably my, my first full contract at CNN, my first, it was a three-year deal, um, was a, was a, a period of doubt that I truly deep down wasn't sure I really belonged and because um, I'm looking at all here's these other dozen anchors who are all older and have more uh, experience and more talent and um, you know back then we would have these meetings about twice a year with the late Bill McPhail who came from CBS Sports and uh, and then Jim Walton who later went on to be president of CNN and is now happily and wealthily retired um, playing golf somewhere in Atlanta but uh, but it was it was the, those two guys were our one and two leaders of CNN Sports and then the twelve anchors and it was part of this crew. I mean, it was just to be sitting in the room like I can't believe I'm sitting here. My, man, there's Nick Charles and there's Fred Hickman and there's Jim Huber and there's Paul Crane and there's Vince Cellini and Bob Lorenz. Oh my goodness, um, it was amazing. So I, that was a big thing I think for me was just do I belong? And we all had that fear. Um, it, it manifests itself manifests itself in different ways. But that was mine, and once I got over that, once I kind of <clears throat> convinced myself, because no one else said, no one else questioned me. My bosses didn't question me. My coworkers were, the other anchors were very supportive of me being there, and at such a young age, they would tease me in a loving big brother kind of way, but it was never mean or a put now. It was in my own mind, and once I got past that, that hurdle, um, everything else became easy. So let's talk about the circuit of success. And so we talked about this before we started recording is that that top left corner being attitude. So when you think of attitude in the, in the realm of being successful in life, what advice would you give to our listeners? You know, I think that's, that's a great question, um, Brett. And I really think that, that it, to me, I, I go back to, I don't know how people and, and some can, and we each can pick those people out who can do this. 
I don't know how those certain people can show up every day with a negative attitude and and reach their potential. Um, I, I just I, I don't I'm I'm at a loss. I don't know how that happens. For me, I think I would tell anybody that it starts with you. And I've always told people when I when I counsel young people or if I'm giving a public speech somewhere, <clears throat> the number one rule if you if you hear if you and I'll say it right now, if you don't hear anything else I say during this podcast, please remember this. Like what you see in the mirror in the morning. And if you don't like what you see in the in the mirror, guess who can change it? You can. If you don't like your situation, if you don't like something going on in your life, take those steps to change it. And and I think that we have pow- the power over our own lives that a lot of us kind of forget. We kind of give the power away to other people. Um, and that's the big thing for me is that, and look, I'm not without challenges uh, in personal life or professional life, but the, the key for me is that I know that I can change my situation. And uh, if I've had enough, I'll go out and make those changes. So what do you say to the guy, Larry, or the gal that's saying, oh, okay, whatever, Larry, you don't know my situation. My situation's different. It's easy to say, get up and look in the mirror and, and change it, right? And I agree with you 100%. But let me just ask that, kind of be the devil's advocate. How do you change that? How do you do it? You know, for me, honestly, go say hi to, go say hi to a total stranger. Go open the door for somebody you don't know. There was a guy at Lakeland College in 1988 I opened the door for. I knew him, but didn't really know him. He was an older guy, whatever. Thought nothing about it. He came up to me 10 years later with tears in his eyes. And he said, I want to tell you something. He said, the day you opened my door, and I vaguely remember opening the door. I, you know, it was 10 years early. I just was saying hi right. to somebody, 9 o'clock in the morning. He actually was a guy who had gone away to play football, didn't do well, and he had to come back home, tail between his legs, no longer the star athlete, and was trying to rebuild his life at a local community college. And he was actually go. He went the wrong way purposely to avoid trying to see people on campus. So here's a guy walking in, feeling low. All I did was say hi, open the door. That's all I did. I didn't know what he was going through. Hmm. And he 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 said once he said it took when you did that all the weight fell off my shoulders. Now, no gold star for me. I don't care. I open the door for people all the time. Say hi to total strangers on the street. But what I'm saying is that you wouldn't believe how just a simple hello to a stranger, or open the door for somebody can change your own outlook. That's a great perspective. Great perspective. So what, are, what is it about beliefs? What are the things that you believe, Larry Smith says, I, I have to do these things or I believe in these things to continue success? Um, I have to understand that uh, although I can take control of my attitude, uh, there's a higher power. Um, you know, I'm very strong in my faith. Um, you know, I wish I could say I read the Bible every day, but I don't get around to doing that. But it doesn't mean that it's not you know, my creator's not in my thoughts. Um, I believe that I need to be kind to others no matter what. Because, and I just saw the movie The Shack this weekend, and I know it's got some, some critics were out there, and I'm like, the critics are missing the point of the story. Um, you never know what other people are going through. You know, we can say, this person's bad because of X, or this person because of Y, whatever. You don't know what their life's about. So one thing I always teach my kids is that just to be compassionate to everybody. Um, you don't, even though they may do you wrong, whatever, turn you the cheek, be the bigger person. And, and I really believe that's kind of part of, of what, um, I need to do every day. You know, do I do everything right? Absolutely not. But I think you have to have that belief of, again, of just kind of rising above and try to be part of the solution and not part of the problem. Well, that's, you know, on the, and people can find this on the Circuit of Success uh, website or on Facebook. You can see the actual Circuit of Success drawn out, and, the, and it's a fence around it. And 
from that belief down to activity, there is uh, the word faith. And so I believe in God. I, I believe that. Uh, and, and so, you know, I ask this question to people all the time. If you believe in God, you believe you're going to go to heaven. And, and they say yes. And I say, well, how many people have you actually physically seen? And I'll ask you, like, how many people have you physically seen gone to heaven? Exactly. Zero, right? <laughs> but you believe that, right? That's faith, right? Yeah. And yeah. so it's in the business world, too. You got to have faith in, uh, and belief in yourself. You have to have belief in I make X amount of phone calls. You're going to be successful. Whatever it is, right? Whatever that belief is. You have to have faith to then make sure the activities that you do every single day make you successful. So I have my activities, things I know I have to do every single day. What are some of yours? You know, what I have to do every day is, again, it's, it sounds simple, but just be that positive person um, and just make sure I find those, those things to do uh, that make me happy. I like to watch a movie every now and then. Um, love watching college basketball. Kind of disappointed now that March Madness is over. You go back to watching other stuff, although I do enjoy the other sports, but I do still, that's kind of the hobby thing. Um, but the, the big thing I don't want, and this may sound silly, is that I don't want to be part of somebody else's problems. We, we all have problems and things we're dealing with, so if I'm at, with at work or family, with friends, I don't want to add to your burden. I want to walk in and have, and here's the thing, when you walk through, you'd be amazed at the people who notice, every, we all notice those people around us. and we know pretty quickly who we like to gravitate towards and who we kind of try to move away from. And I don't care to be either one, but I don't want to be the person that if I walk up, you're like, oh, geez, here comes Larry. What do he wants now? Um, be positive. It, it, it doesn't cost you anything to be positive. Yeah, so I don't know if you know John Gordon, uh, who that is, The Energy Bus. Yes. Uh, great book if you've never read it, for those listening. That's what he talks about, right? I don't want to be the energy vampire for everybody else in my life. Yeah, yeah. So that's good. So what risk are you happy you took? You know, I'm happy that I took the risk to, uh, to change majors in college. Uh, I was an accounting major, and, and for all accountants, with all due respect, I love you. But I got into FIFO and LIFO, managerial accounting, and I just said I, I can't do Checked this. out. Yeah. And I, well, and you also were at the Harvard of the Midwest, Eastern Illinois University. Go, exactly. So I was thrilled. To, <laughs> happy I went to Eastern. Uh, could not have uh, met wonderful people there that, that shaped my life. And spiritually, there were people who, who went through uh, that I, you know, Mike Bradisamati, that, that the longtime Eastern professor now was uh, formerly news director and station manager at, at the local station WLBH in Mattoon. And, um, you know, we've been friends since I was a junior in high school in 1984. And uh, Sue Kaufman, who was an instructor there at, at, at Eastern, and Jack Keith, my first news director, um, you know, at, at, in Champaign. And, and certainly Jim Walton and Bill McPhail took a, hire, took a chance to hire this kid out of West Palm Beach, you know, and um, skinny black kid with a 30-inch waist at the time and, you know, only had to shave twice a week. I mean, you know, they, the people, there were people there that, that shaped me and gave me those opportunities. And I know I repaid them in making sure that I lived up to their idea of the potential that I, that I had. So, um, you know, obviously never regret, you know, marrying my wife, you know, right. <laughs> great kids. Um, but, you know, and even things, you know, successes and failures. Um, I think even, you know, I haven't failed much, but in those things I didn't do well in, I learned from. And so I don't regret those either. What, what do you wish now you could spend more time doing? With my kids. I mean, it's, you know, it's a no-brainer. I think we all would like to win the lottery tomorrow and just be around them more. So, um, you know, every moment is precious because I know that they've, you've got kids. The kids grow up so fast. 
and it's in a blink of an eye they'll be away in college off doing their own thing and it's like geez you know now what so but that's the number one thing is just with with family um spend a lot of time with them but we work in tv it's a lot of nights and weekends um but they know uh where my passion lies and it's with them and um and uh, it used to freak my son out we'd be out at dinner and Somebody would walk up with a, wanting a picture and autograph. Remember, we went to go buy a car. <laughs> We're at like a steak and shake, and my son's probably I don't know three years old, four years old, and this guy's just going crazy. Just he's just screaming, "Hey, you know who this guy is? He's seen it in sports." And he turns to my wife and he says, "Why is this guy so loud?" And my wife says, "Well, he watches Daddy on TV and he's just excited." And he said, "But I just want to eat my burger with my daddy." He's <laughs> <laughs> like, "Hey, leave us alone, buddy." Yeah, so it was cute, but I think they, you know, they, they understand. They know I do protect them, and we told our kids from the very beginning that listen, everybody works hard. Daddy's job is no different. He doesn't work any harder. He's not special. It's just that Daddy's job puts him on TV, yeah. and and our kids learn that from very. I'll tell you a very funny story very quickly. Our daughter goes into kindergarten, and the other teacher comes over and to her teacher and says, "Oh, you've got a celebrity kid." And I hate the C word. I'm not. A, I'm a journalist, not a celebrity. And the, the, my daughter's teacher says, "What do you mean?" She says, "Well, I've got a, a daughter, a, a girl in my class. Her dad played for the Braves, and that little girl's dad's on CNN. He's a sports guy." So she calls my daughter over and says, "Hey, hon, is your dad on TV?" And this little five-year-old girl with pigtails looks up with these big brown eyes and says, "Yes, but only when he goes to work." <laughs> That's great. <laughs> only when he goes to work. That's it. Yeah. I like it. So when you look back, I mean, what, what advice would you give to the Larry Smith for, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, people that are in the grind every single day? Um, what advice would you give? Same advice I've been giving for, for 30 years. Um, um, make sure that you uh, don't burn any bridges because this world, especially now, this world is really, really small. Uh, treat everyone with kindness. Um, I used to always, at the time, I had an old phone book for I bought for two dollars like at Walmart or 3D or someplace and I would and as people would move I would take white out and tape and put their new addresses on to keep in touch with everybody as we moved around so we're white collar nomads now you got Facebook and you've got Twitter and you've got all these ways LinkedIn you can keep in touch with people keep in touch with people take advantage of opportunities of doing internships and even if you can't do an internship ask somebody in your community that you have an interest listen I'm really curious to know more of what you do in this career that is X can I come in for an hour a week and just observe um, and and show people that you want to go above Brett you wouldn't believe the people who allegedly want to get into to sports casting who I've given my cell phone number to who never called wow I, that just yeah. me I just I'd rather you did. Blows my mind. Yeah, I'd rather you don't, don't call, and that way you're not wasting my time. Um, but do you think if I if if cell phones existed back in 1990, and I got Fred Hickman's cell phone number, you think I would have called him? Are you kidding me? Right. Um, yeah, that always amazes me. But it goes back to again, if you don't have the passion, if you don't, this isn't what you really truly want or really truly believe in. Your neighbors and your aunts and uncles and your dad's best friend can say all that they want and talk you up as much as you want. But until you step up to the plate, it, it's not much that's going to happen for you. Nope. So would you say overall, did you envision your success or are you shocked by it? Um, I'm shocked at um, the levels that I reached. My goal, honestly, was to be a sports anchor when I first chose to 
TV, got out of the whole accounting thing, uh, was to be a sportscaster there in the Midwest. I thought if I got to Chicago or St. Louis, I'd be doing great. And that was really, I'd, I had no idea I'd ever be on a network for 16 years and then another six years on Turner Sports. I had no idea I'd be doing news um, in Washington. That just never entered my, that wasn't on my scope of things. But I think that, you know, as you get older, you understand that the big thing about college is if you can get through college, it says you're educable, that you can take uh, a lot of information and learn it in a very short amount of time. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I knew when I was in high school, I was going to do something different. I didn't know what that was. Um, but I knew I probably would not grow up in Mattoon and, and it was, it, that was proven pretty quickly. Yeah, that's great. Um, so if you look at right now, a couple of questions I always like to end with, um, I give you $10 million. You can't pay off debt. You cannot give it to charity. What's Larry Smith doing? Oh, geez. Um, putting it in the bank, uh, <laughs> watching it grow. <laughs> right. Uh, I mean, I, I, boy, I can't give it away, really? Uh, no, no, that's the fun of this question. You got, it's going to challenge you, your thoughts here a little bit. Wow, I'm not a big material guy. I don't, I don't have a lot of material things. Uh, I'm known as the, uh, everything I wear, I bought off the clearance rack. I guarantee you. <laughs> look at my Facebook pictures. What, look at me on, on air. I mean, people laugh that I'm the master of the $100 dress shirt for 17 bucks. I mean, it's just, it's just where I am. Um, well, you're going to get a lot of dress shirts with $10 million. You, you can't, <laughs> exactly. So I, I probably would, would sit on it. I would probably uh, go buy a place, uh, buy a condo on Waikiki Beach and go spend at least uh, two weeks out of the year there until I retire. And, but I wouldn't retire. Nope. I, I'd keep, I, I have too much passion for what I do. I wouldn't, I wouldn't just sit down. Well, you're following your dreams, man. That's great. What, uh, what's, on the, what's on top of the bucket list for you? You've gotten to do a lot of things on most people's bucket lists, so that's really cool. But what's on top of yours? Wow. Uh, you know, I've, I've yet to tour Rome, and I think that's uh, – I mean, if, I, if I weren't doing this, I'd be teaching history somewhere and, uh, and would love to go spend about a month in Rome and just, just walk around. You, Brett, do, I'm going to tell you right now, never go to a museum with me. Uh, we'll be there all day. Yeah, you'd be like, oh my gosh. <laughs> like, yeah, for real? You, you guys go eat. I'll just text you when I'm done. How's that? Yeah, so, yeah, um, yeah. I'm, I'm a history nerd. and um, uh, But I, that's just off the top of my list, one thing. I've, I, sporting events, I've done every sporting event. Um, I, it's hard to be a spectator at big events after you've kind of... Oh, I can't imagine. Press pass and been down in the trenches kind of thing. So... Well, it's kind of like us in St. Louis, you know, being a huge Cardinal fan. It, it's kind of tough to watch normal baseball games when we're getting so used to the playoff thing. Last year, last October, was painful not being there. Yeah, yeah. Well, it had to hurt, too, that, that the Cubs were having Yeah, uh, you had to bring it up, didn't you? Well, I mean, it is what it is, but no. Yeah. No, to be fair, baseball, St. Louis is the best baseball town in the country, bar none. Let's just be honest about it. Um, I like it. But I, but I do love what the, the Cubs did, and, and um, I think I would hope that even the most diehard of Cardinal fan would at least tip their hat to them that 108 years, give them the one year, and then you guys would come back. Great rivalry. I thought opening night was a lot of fun to watch down there. Yeah, uh, well, I went with our buddy Matt Cornell to opening night, and uh, I, when the Cubs won the World Series, I had to text him. I said, this is painful for me to do this, Matt, but I'm happy for you as a Cub fan. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so, it's, it's a lot. Of, it's, it's a, that's fun to do. It's fun to watch. 
So last question for you, besides your wedding day and besides the day your children were born, uh, what's the best day of your life? I'm gonna throw one out that probably will surprise you, but it was in May of 1985 when I ran for and was elected student council state president. Wow. I was 16 years old. That changed my life because that, I had confidence then. There's a the backstory I won't get into, it's too long, but the, that gave me the confidence to know that I could do anything. I was this kid from this little small town, went to Chicago and beat five other kids for this office and got a chance to, um, for my senior year, gave speeches in DC. I, I went to an event last year at the Omni Shoreham Hotel and just, I spent 30 minutes just walking around trying to figure out which ballroom I gave the speech in. <laughs> I never, that not, is really cool. It was 30 years ago, but um, but that was the, that was the big event. If 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 I don't win that night, uh, I'm I'm not an anchor on CNN, and I don't have the same life that I have. Well, you think about the defining moments in our lives, right? I mean, at 16 years old to go do that, who would have thought that that 30 years later would get you to where you are today? Yeah, yeah, and I I would again I wouldn't have. I mean, you're going through all of us going through life. I mean, right now we're not quite middle-aged, but it's rapidly approaching. And I think even right now, we don't know what the future holds and none of us ever know that. We can we can look back and say, well, this was big, that was big. And I didn't know at the time, I was just a kid that, you know, was looking for something to do my senior year and was gonna be bored and had to get a passion to do this. And, um, but to have a whole convention say, hey, this is the guy we want and all the schools, well, not all, but the majority voting for me. Um, you know, that, that meant a lot. And um, that I, I could be this, kid this skinny kid from this little small farm town in the middle of nowhere and go do something different and um you know that was it certainly was a defining moment that i think um you know you're right to be at 16 of a defining moment is in a positive way um is probably unusual but that's even bigger than the cnn that because if that doesn't happen i don't have the courage to walk into cnn at age 24 and begin working on a job there well, we've talked a lot about uh, a lot of stuff today, Ben, but I know our uh, our hometown is sure proud of who you are and who you've become. And, and for years and years, I know you came back and did your Larry Smith Celebrity Golf Tournament. And uh, I actually, I don't know if you remember this or not, but I called you about 11 years ago and picked your brain on a golf tournament. And that was uh, the one that started Swing for Hope, the foundation my wife and I had. So you were one of the first phone calls I made, and you were so gracious back then to give your time and tell me what you did. And now here we are 11 years later, we've raised almost a half a million dollars. It's just been an awesome, awesome thing. So I appreciate all you've done, man, for me and uh, what you do for everybody out there in the world. Well, I appreciate those kind words and I'm not surprised at all that your event's been a big success just because of the person you are and knowing your parents and knowing uh, you know how you were raised. I mean, we're all proud of you too. And, and I appreciate the kind words. Absolutely. Well, thanks for being here, Larry. Where can our guest uh, listeners, where can they find more of Larry Smith? You a social media guy? Uh, I'm, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter, uh, ABC7Larry. I'm on Instagram, Larry Smith TV. And, uh, or you, if, you, if you have insomnia, you can get up at 4.30 a.m. and stream at <laughs> WJLA.com uh, Monday through Friday. <laughs> I like it. I'll have to check it out. I didn't know it was streamed live online. There you go. If you can't sleep, get your coffee, and can just hang out with us for a little while. All right. I'll do it. Well, thanks for being here, Larry. Great stuff. I appreciate you being on the Circuit of Success podcast. Thanks, Brad. Much success for you. God bless. Tune in next week for another episode of the Circuit of Success with Brett Gilliland on the lineupmedia.fm podcast network. 
Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and through our website, circuitofsuccess.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and email any questions to info at circuitofsuccess.com. This podcast was a presentation of lineupmedia.fm. 